Father, now as we gather around your word, we pray that you would encourage us and challenge us. And it would be about you and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings. Do we really know what that means? Suppose we were come to set up a set of Beatitudes for the 21st century. Someone made a list of those by that by today's standard would be considered blessed. Blessed are the rich and famous, because they always get a seat at the best restaurant. Blessed are the good looking, for they shall be on the cover of a magazine. Blessed are those who party, for they know how to have fun. Blessed are those who take first place in the division, for they shall have momentum going into the playoffs. Blessed are the movers and shakers, for they shall make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they shall not be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, because they'll have a puffed up self-image. Blessed are those who make it to the top, because they'll have all the power. Our culture equates blessings with health and money and fame and homes and power and retirement accounts and cars and clout. Blessings have become external things that bring us temporary, earthly happiness. But let me say this. No no one in church history has ever described God's blessings that way until relatively recently. When Jesus sat on that hill and he said, Blessed are the... No person listening to him thought... That he was going to list some kind of external list of blessings. This false teaching of blessings from God being external things has led to a very common Christian heresy in our day. This heresy is called the health and wealth gospel or prosperity theology. It started in our country in the 1950s. Here's a definition I found. Prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith and positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, God will deliver. He's obligated to deliver prosperity. In essence, if we just give the right amount of money to the right TV preacher, we pray the right prayer, we have enough faith, God has obligated himself to fulfill his part of the contract and give us health and wealth. So many TV preachers fill their own coffers, padding this false teaching, twisting the Bible for their own ends. It's a homegrown American heresy, and it breaks God's heart. The irony is that this heresy has only come about because of the great health and wealth and blessings that we enjoy. But how quickly does this false teaching explode into a million pieces without even one word being said? All you have to do is go to a Sunday service in Haiti. All you have to do is go to a Sunday service in the Central African Republic. All you have to do is go go worship in secret with all the number of believers who are under persecution. 
the dirt floors, the lack of drinking water, the lack of sanitary facilities, the threat of death and imprisonment and on and on. Are all these millions upon millions of followers of Christ, are all of them somehow missing out on God's blessings? Is God punishing them by not giving them health and wealth and ease and luxury? Think about it. Is God, by not giving them financial health and wealth, not blessing them, is somehow the faith of these people less than our faith? Well, of course not. They're not the ones with the wrong understanding of blessing. We are. In no way are God's blessings tied to fulfilling our material needs and wants. Hope you heard that. So I'm going to say it again. In no way are God's blessings tied to giving us health and wealth, meeting our material needs and wants. No one listened to Jesus on that day. No one listening to Jesus in his three-year ministry ever said, well, I want to follow him. You know why? Because he's going to make me happy, and he's going to make me healthy, and he's going to make me wealthy. That's why I want to follow Jesus. No, for nearly two millennia, that was never taught. Now, there's probably no one in our church that really believes this bold, false teaching of prosperity theology. But here's the reality of it. We're affected by it. If I asked you to list God's blessings in your life, it wouldn't take long until it was a long list of material things. So you can be greatly blessed by God and be poor. You can be greatly blessed by God and have bad health. You can be greatly blessed by God and have a messed up past. You can be greatly blessed by God and have dealt with some of the harshest life tragedies. God's blessings are not equated with health and wealth and ease and luxury. The evidence is strikingly clear. Just read biography after biography of missionaries and pastors, of church leaders, of everyday ordinary followers of Jesus Christ, people like you and me. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel is not only biblical heresy, it's also practical Real-life heresy. God's blessings are not equated with giving us health and wealth. An actor once said, it isn't necessary to be rich and famous to be happy. It's only necessary to be rich. Jesus said that it was easier for a camel to climb through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Because riches are most often a stumbling block. Not an aid for us to come to Christ. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Riches are more often in the Bible described as a distraction that take our focus off what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ rather than a sign showing God's true blessings. Now, we come to the struggle honestly, because part of the root of our problem is the enormous, wide-ranging application and definition of the word we use, blessing. 
We use the same word blessing to describe God's material blessings and to describe God's spiritual blessings. And often it's just because we're, we're using the same word and we're mixing up the definitions and we're confusing the two together that we'll sometimes even falsely equate God's material blessings as his spiritual blessings. Of course, it's right to look at the material blessings and the gifts that God has given to us and to call them blessings. We are blessed. So many amazing financial, material ways. So much more. Think about this. We are blessed financially so much more than the vast majority of Christians who are alive right now. And by far the vast majority of Christians over the last two millennia. Each one of us are rich in comparison to the rest of today's world and Christians and especially those compared in history. I think perhaps as I was thinking about this, this kind of sums up the issue, the challenge for us. See, the challenge we have is that we most often think about blessings that they're for us rather than thinking about blessings as from God. See, we most often think about blessings, what they will give us. We're egocentric about our blessings. We want God to give us what we want. We want God to give us what we think is most valuable and important. Now, perhaps you've seen this. Have you ever seen a child, maybe on a video, after opening up all their Christmas presents, have to fight back tears because they were so disappointed? Even though they got all these great gifts, right? They didn't get the gift that they really wanted. And being a child, they just couldn't hold back their sadness. In the midst of receiving all these free and unmerited gifts, they're discouraged because they didn't get what they wanted. Because, see, their focus was on the gift, on what they wanted, not on the giver and all the gifts that the giver wanted to give to them. Now, when his kids at Christmas, it's sometimes funny or even cute. But we have to admit to ourselves as adults that we can struggle with this exact same attitude. We get focused on the gift rather than focused on the giver. We get focused on getting what we want, not on the generosity of the giver, not on what the giver wanted to give us. We think blessings are for us. We think it's all about us. Rather than seeing blessings as from God, the focus is us, rather than the focus being properly on God. When blessings are seen from the perspective of the giver, rather than the receiver, they take on a whole new meaning and significance. There's really a big difference, especially when it comes to blessings from God. So here's a four-part quiz, and the quiz has all the same answers. So answer the questions with me. So who knows us better? Us or God? Who, who knows what we need better, us or God? Who knows what's really important for us, us or God? Who knows what's really valuable for us, us or God? You see, the challenge is we focus on us rather than focusing on God. You see, We in our selfishness equate God giving us what we want with being blessed. In our selfishness, we equate God giving us material things and health and wealth and ease as being blessed. We're just like that child at Christmas. 
We get disappointed with God when he doesn't do for us what we want. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means to focus on the giver, not on the gift. When we look at life theocentrically, when we look at life God-centered, rather than egocentrically, rather than me-centered, we can see with clarity the amazing blessings that we have been given. Because our focus is on the giver of all good gifts. And God, the giver of all true blessings, knows best how to bless his children. God, our Father, knows best how to bless us. Or that we would have the spiritual eyes to see how abundantly our Father has blessed us. So specifically, what does the word blessed mean? Historically, as you read commentaries and all that, a lot of people will define the word blessed as happy. To say the least, this is a very poor understanding of the word blessed. One wrote, it's seriously misleading to to render blessed as happy. For happiness is a subjective state. Whereas Jesus is making an objective judgment about these people. He's declaring not the way they feel, but what God thinks of them. And on that account, they are blessed. Blessings are what God thinks of us. Blessings are what God gives us. To receive what God gives is to be incredibly blessed. Another commentator put it this way. The Greek term for blessed or happy was not nearly as difficult to understand for Jesus' audience and Matthew's readers as it is for us today. Matthew's Jewish listeners and readers were familiar with the term. Our modern idea of happiness is a deluded version of the joy implied by the term Jesus used. Our idea of happiness is dependent on circumstance. Instead, God's happiness or joy is dependent on the assurance of God, not on the current circumstances, and abides deep and undisturbable within the believer. God's blessings are only dependent on him and abide deep within the believer. Another said, blessed implies an inner satisfaction, a sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstances. Just as the character qualities of one who is a true follower of Christ are those internal values brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit in life, so the blessings of those character qualities of a true follower of Christ are internal and eternal and are brought about by the work of the Spirit in our lives. One commentator said to be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstances, but a deep supernatural experience of contentedness based on the fact that one's life is right with God. Blessedness is based on objective reality, realized in the miracle of the transformation of a new and divine nature. A believer in Haiti, a believer in a Central African Republic, the poorest of the poor, or a believer in North Korea, a believer hiding In China, facing great persecution, hardship, and loss, these people are blessed. Just as we are blessed. See, only the blessings in life that withstand deep poverty, only the blessings in life that supersede harsh 
Persecution are the truest, realest blessings of all. It's hard for us to see outside the circumstances of our lives. But listen again to this. To be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstances, but a deep, supernatural experience of contentedness based on the fact that one's life is right with God. That's what it means to be blessed. There are no greater blessings than all the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. These blessings supersede any and all external, circumstantial, material blessings. Why? Because God's blessings are real. They're permanent. They're objective. They're substantive. They're eternal. They're without comparison. May God help us to see what's real, what has real value, what's really important, what it really means to be blessed. May open our eyes to evaluate our culture, to evaluate our lives so that we can see the truth and embrace the truth and not the roller coaster of circumstantial feelings of blessing. So let's look at the blessings listed for us there in the Beatitudes. So if you're not there yet, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Follow along as I read verses 1. Through 12. Last week we talked about the character qualities of a citizen of the kingdom. This week we're talking about the blessings of the citizen of the kingdom. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, as we look at these blessings of the kingdom, I'm going to make two observations about what it means to be blessed as a citizen of the kingdom. One is to note that the first blessing And the last blessing, verse 3, verse 10, end with the same blessing. Did you notice that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both the same. These two characteristics, being humble to the point of recognizing your spiritual poverty and total need for God, poor in spirit, and being willing to stand up for what you believe so firmly that you willingly face persecution, their blessing, these blessings for these two are in the present tense, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, a person who exemplifies these characteristics of total spiritual bankruptcy and relying only on God, and then through that reliance being so real that they're willing to face persecution, It shows that these type of people 
These citizens of the kingdom have acknowledged that God is their sole source for their salvation. It shows that they are presently now participants in the kingdom of heaven. It's present. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For God has gladly chosen to give them the kingdom to those who humbly come to him and trust in him. Showing the evidence of their faith by willingly standing up for it. Do you want to know if you're a participant in the kingdom of God? Evaluate. Evaluate with these two principles. Who do you trust? You or, or Jesus? One wrote at the very outset of the Sermon on the Mount, being poor in spirit, we learn that we do not have the spiritual resources to put any of the sermon's precepts into practice. We cannot fulfill God's standards ourselves. We must come to him and acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy, emptying ourselves of our own self-righteousness, of our own moral self-esteem, of our own personal vain glories. Emptied of these things, we are ready for him to fill us. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Is that you? See, the beginning of repentance is a recognition of one's spiritual bankruptcy, one's inability to become righteous on one's own. Have you come to Christ empty of yourself, empty of, of your works, as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, simply by grace, through faith, and not of yourselves? You've put your trust in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection? If you've never done that, then today, even right now as you're sitting there, you can pray and ask Jesus to be the king and savior of your life. But perhaps today you'd answer, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Then the last beatitude kicks in. Are you willing to stand up and be counted as a follower of Christ, even to the point of persecution? Are you willing to defend your faith? Are you willing to defend your king? Even if it costs you? Even if it costs you a lot, if you're unwilling to stand up, then you need to evaluate if Jesus is really your king. If you've really exchanged your life for his, your priorities for his, your sins for his righteousness. The eternal, overabundant blessings of the kingdom of heaven are given only to those who by faith have truly come to Christ in repentance and who are by necessity of their changed heart and their new allegiance to Jesus Christ, are willing to stand up and stand out for him. One commentator wrote, to end and begin with the same expression, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is a stylistic device called an inclusio. That means that everything bracketed in between the two can be included under one theme, the kingdom of heaven. So I'm a simple guy, so I kind of picture it like a sandwich, right? So you have all these differing meats and cheeses and condiments in between the two slices of same bread. The two slices of the bread are the same, and they hold in and define what is in between. The greatest blessings that a citizen of the kingdom is, the very blessing of being part of the kingdom in the first place. Did you get that? The greatest blessing that defines a citizen of the kingdom is the very blessing that we get to be part of the kingdom in the first place. There's no greater blessing in all of life, in all of the world, in all of time, 
This is the greatest, most superlative blessing any human can ever have to be a participant in the kingdom of heaven. And until we grasp the depths of that truth, we will never understand the depths of God's great blessings for us. Well, the next thing to note about the other six blessings in verses 4 through 9 is that they're all in the future tense. It's not theirs is, but theirs shall be. The greatest fulfillment of these six blessings are in the future reality, when our faith becomes sight. There are present applications to these blessings, and there are future ultimate application to these blessings. The second blessing is Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember that this morning is spiritual mourning that flows directly from the characteristic of being poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin, realizing the great price that was paid to forgive it, the substitutionary death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The blessing is that for those who mourn for their sins, they will be comforted. This word comfort is the exact same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, a comforter, to be with you forever. Now in this present world, we are comforted by the comforter for the brokenness of our sin. What a great spiritual blessing we have to have the comforter to comfort us. But one day, ultimately, we will be completely comforted by the comforter. From the power and the presence of sin and all of its horrendous consequences. And as it says in Revelation, there will be no more mourning. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our Christian, American culture and the Roman culture of Jesus' day would beg to, to differ with Jesus on that one. It's not the meek and lowly. It's definitely not the gentle and humble that's going to inherit the earth. It's the strong. It's the forceful. It's the independent. It's the powerful. They don't inherit the earth. We're going to inherit the earth. We're going to take it by force. But folks, it's only the maker of the earth who is able to give the earth as an inheritance as he allots to each one their inheritance. See, there's coming a future time, a millennial kingdom, as Jesus reigns as, as a physical king on earth, that this blessing will become a reality for all followers of Christ. We will inherit the earth. But there's also a blessing in it for us today. Because this is our Father's world. And as children, think about this, as Christians, we are uniquely prepared to enjoy this amazing earth. As the, hymn, as the hymn says, this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands, the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. 
He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. We, as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have this special blessing from our Father in his world as we interact as a child of God. What a blessing. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This world offers satisfaction. And so many things, commercial after commercial, is selling satisfaction. But the offer is woefully incomplete. Everything they offer is just an inadequate mirage of fake satisfaction. Solomon put it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold... All is vanity and a striving after the wind. But not for us. We're Christians. Not for us. Not for believers. Not for followers of Christ. We have purpose. We have mission. We have meaning. We have true soul satisfaction. To passionately pursue Jesus, our Savior, the Creator, to know Him and to make Him known is the single, soul, satisfying life. Everything else will leave you wanting. Jesus will leave you satisfied. Our part is to passionately seek. God's part is to fully satisfy. What an immense blessing. Purpose and meaning of life. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions suffer for want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That most beloved psalm, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. However, yet in this life with the presence of sin and our own selfish inclinations, that satisfaction, though complete, is only partially tasted. The full satisfaction of our souls will come when our souls find their ultimate rest in Jesus alone. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. God has not given us what our sins deserve. He's shown us mercy. Oh, the mercy of our God in our lives. We give mercy because he continues to give an abundance of mercy in our lives. The theme of giving away what we've received from God runs throughout the scriptures. We offer love and forgiveness and mercy and grace because we, in character, trying to be who God is and to give what he has given to us. What a great blessing that God has given his true followers mercy both now and ultimate mercy, complete at the culmination of our salvation, what we have been given, what we have received as a blessing, we get to bless others in return. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first meaning of pure in heart, of of holiness, of cleansing that God has wrought in our lives, in our inmost being, it tells of the position of the follower of Christ, Because of the work of Christ in their hearts, we are pure, holy in heart. Only those who are made pure in heart, only true followers of Christ, will receive this ultimate blessing of seeing God actually being with God. 
1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Though while we're on our earthly bodies, we will never see God. But if we love one another, and when we do that, if, if out of a heart made pure from God, from his word and from his spirit, as we strive to show his love to others, then God, who abides in us, will manifest himself in love to others. See, others will see God in us as we love because he first loved us. And they will glorify him. What a great blessing to not only one day have the surety of seeing God, but on this day to have the blessing of showing God to others through our love. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The primary application here is that Jesus is a peacemaker. Jesus is the greatest maker of peace. He is the one and only Son of God. He is the peacemaker. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great blessing that we as God's children, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, we get to be peacemakers. We get to introduce people to our Savior, to the Son of God, to Jesus. He brings the peace. We're given the role to bring others to him to receive that peace. There are a few blessings we experience this side of heaven that compare to being a part of God's plan, facilitating someone going from death to life. Facilitating someone going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. Facilitating someone to go from being lost to found. From wrath to salvation. See folks, this world is feeding us lie after lie after lie about what it means to be blessed. But we know better. Because we are truly blessed. We are blessed with real, objective Actual, eternal blessings. There's no greater application this morning in understanding what it means to, to have the great blessings of God in our lives than today as we're holding those elements in our hand during the communion service. As you hold those elements in your hand, you have the greatest picture of the greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive. A blessing so real, so substantive, that it changes our whole eternity. It changes our everyday life. So don't allow yourself to be sucked in by the lies of this world. Don't allow yourself to be sucked in by the false teachers around us that try to tell you what it means to be blessed. Cling to God's word. The very words of Jesus Christ. As the communion, as you're holding those elements in your hand, Pray to them today. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and look again at those Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at that blessing. The kingdom of heaven, comfort, inherit the earth, satisfaction, mercy, seeing God, being called sons of God. No greater list of blessings could ever be written. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you in these moments, it is hard for us to grasp this truth. Now, we understand it with our brains, but it's hard to us to grasp it with our lives. We are so steeped in, in what it means to be blessed of physical and, and material and, and health issues and all that. But Lord, we pray now, we beg of you to break through into our hearts, into our lives with this message of what a real blessing is. What that really means to be blessed. Help us to understand that and then to live that blessing and to be so thankful for it, especially now in this communion service. Because we are blessed with the one real, life-changing, substantive blessing of all, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.